Hello and welcome to Talking Events. Um, today's episode uh, is being recorded in the plush and palatial surroundings of Twickenham Stadium. Um, we were uh, given a, an invitation by the events and the hospitality team here, uh, the Twickenham Experience, to come and actually uh, record the podcasts um, in one of the hospitality boxes that overlook the pitch. And at this point, we would like to say a big thank you to the team here at the stadium who have been fantastic in hosting us and allowing us to set up for the last couple of days and record these episodes. We welcome today's guests to the podcast, returning to talking events. Um, he was on last week um, talking individually, but on the panel today is James Anderson from Arena Group. Uh, welcome back to the studio, James. Um, Nick Kenton from Lord's Cricket Ground. Nick, thanks for joining Talking Events Pleasure. today. Uh, and James Lee from the Twickenham Experience. James, thanks for uh, walking around the corner, I suppose, from your from your office. <laughs> and uh, that's a pleasure. And popping up to to this fine hospitality suite to join us today. Um, we're going to uh, be talking and getting the chaps involved in in discussing sporting venues and how a lot of sporting venues now are able to adapt in order to host different types of event. Um, and by adapting, we mean, I suppose, expanding the facilities or enhancing what they've got on a permanent basis in order to, to cope with either major events that are relevant directly to their type of venue or indeed events that are, that are being commissioned by other agencies that are non-related to their particular types of sport. So, um, Nick, let's, let's start with you and let's start okay. with um, Lord's Cricket Ground. The facilities that you've got there, but how the ground and how the organisation has expanded those facilities and what you can now uh, accommodate there? Yeah, um, I'll give you a bit of an overview um, to start with. Um, Lord's Cricket Ground really opened up for events around 12 years ago. Um, we host around 60 days of cricket a year, of which 11 days will be international cricket, the rest would be domestic uh, matches. Um, so quite clearly, there's a lot of days there that the venue was, was sitting empty. You've got beautiful venues like the Long Room in the Grade 2 listed Pavilion building, um, very iconic venue in sport, and it was sitting empty. Um, so it became more and more apparent that Lords, Lords needed to move with the times a little bit and make uh, the venues available for, um, for people to hire on, uh, on non-match days. Um, we've had some purpose-built venues um, since then, um, the Thomas Lord Suite, and the other venue that's particularly iconic at Lords is the J.P. Morgan Media Centre that was built. That was actually built in 1999, but it now um, also undergoes um, around 100 events um, every single year. Um, Lords is a venue um, people know it as the home of cricket. Um, it's a fantastic, uh, fantastic place for me as the head head of sales to to sell and get people to come and uh, come and enjoy the facilities. Um, but we've got that very nice mix of the history um, as well as the, the modern uh, facilities like the Thomas Lord Suite and the Media Centre. So we've got that, that nice mix. We're not a, a purpose-built stand like we are in the beautiful Twickenham Stadium at the moment in a fantastic, fantastic facilities that they have here. Uh, with Lords, we've got that kind of mix between the very old uh, and the new. And that works really well in terms of proposing that to the events market. Uh, and James Lee from, from Twickenham Experience. Um, on a previous episode, we've actually spoken about how modern stadia have such a range of facilities that are available here. You've got quite a wealth of on-site facilities, but how has that been expanded in recent years to accommodate different types of events? Yes, yeah, a very good question, and there's been considerable investment in the stadium, not least of which for a rather big tournament that took place towards the end of last year. 
Um, it's well documented that lots of money was spent in the region of £75 million developing the infrastructure of the stadium, mm -hmm. and in particular the West Stand, which is now our sort of premium space. Um, in terms of the history of Twickenham experience, really, from a conference and event point of view, it kicked off in sort of 2008-09, um, and the, the development of the new South Stand. Um, and from there, it's, it's developed and developed, really. Uh, people know us for the dedicated conference centre that is the South Stand, but more and more people now are being introduced to the rest of the Stadium Bowl, and there's space all around, and I think that's what makes not just Twickenham, but other stadia and sporting um, venues quite adaptable in terms of the events that we can host. Um, clearly, many of us do hospitality, and that's what drives the business, and mm -hmm. certainly in Twickenham's case, CNE is still a, a small part of the overall business, but a dynamic one. And with the new space, with the investment that we get, um, the future looks really bright. For certainly for us as a venue, in terms of match day growth, we are restricted or limited by the number of, um, a bit like Nick was just saying, by the number of fixtures that we can host here um, in terms of sporting fixtures. So it's really dependent on the CNE side of the business to therefore kick in. Um, and help out with the other. In our case, it's more like 340-something days a year. Right. Um, and, and it's true to say, I think, that um, the traditional venue, which might be perceived as hotel, conference centre, um, people are looking for new and quirkier space um, with technology doing what technology is doing. You know, we all have to be alive to that. And I think sport leads the way in so many instances. So for us, we're benefiting from both internal investment from the RFU uh, and that continues, um, but also the, the, the growth and expansion of the team and, and the customers that we're looking to attract. Um, let, let's bring James Anderson from Arena Group into, into this now. James, I think for those that are listening who are not aware of, of what Arena Group do, give, give us a quick overview of how you would work with sporting venues such as these. Um, <clears throat> we work with both these guys, actually. So so at Lords, we build um, ticket sale. The Lords are, you know, Everybody wants to go. So space is at a premium. And we build about 340 extra seats for these guys um, through the year, um, which en enables them to, to grow their revenues. Um, for Twickenham, we did a, a huge amount for the Rugby World Cup. Um, so sort of we built like a, a 3,000 square meter bespoke media center that, that held 600 media personnel. You don't have that sort of stuff on site. Um, 10,000 meters, 10,000 square meters of temporary roadways. So f for us, it's about it's about helping existing venues um, do, do exactly what James just said. So, yes, they do their core business, but, but what else can they do? What other events can they run? And what we do is help them by building different infrastructure um, around, around, the, around the site, help, help them achieve what they need to achieve. So supporting their core sporting events, but also allowing them to develop other event offerings. Absolutely. You know, so turning this into... Um, if, you, if you look at Hampton, I think it's Hampton Park at the at the, at the Commonwealth Games, um, the venue was turned into a, a football ground, into um, a major uh, with a running track and everything. Literally mm -hmm. by putting a deck area in there, making the the overall footprint of the ground much much bigger, um, all all temp all temporary. Um, uh, so you know, so it, it's it's adding on it's adding on to to what they yeah you know, what they deliver here. Is there any scope in uh, uh, Nick and and James Lee? Uh, is there scope within? your both of your venues to actually put any of these sort of services in on a permanent basis or is it more cost effective to actually bring in companies like arena group to deploy temporary elements as and when you need it um 
It's, it's a tricky one to answer. Lords is, is very limited in terms of the space that we have on site. Uh, we have residents and everything else. So I don't think it would be particularly straightforward for us to create something that would necessarily be appropriate for an event that would mm -hmm. be there throughout the year. Um, certainly from the match day um, side of the business, uh, we do create additional, uh, additional seats, as, as James was mentioning, to accommodate the demand for tickets. And also we do put a hospitality structure up. Uh, for example, we had the Ashes Club um, up during uh, last year. Um, for the England Australia Investec test at Lords, and um, that accommodated an, an additional 200 hospitality guests per day. Um, so you can imagine in, in a year like England versus Australia, um, that's serious value um, for the club to be able to do that. Um, personally, we, um, I can see it working maybe at some venues, but at Lords, I would see it has to be a temporary solution that goes in and out, um, and very much around the match day. Can side I just of the chip in there? I think I think it's a very good point. Uh, if you if you consider what let's choose the Cheltenham Festival as a good example, um, for, for that week, Cheltenham probably make I would suggest 75% of their revenue throughout the year. Um, we build. Um, we do. We happen to build the longest triple deck in the world there, which is alongside alongside the course. Um, they could not. They could not afford to have that a built permanent, and because not only of the the initial build cost of that, but the maintenance, the ongoing, the ongoing cost of, of that building, plus planning and all that sort of stuff. So to put to put that sort of building up for a, on a, for a temporary basis just for that one event is it's far more cost effective for them. And for most of the venues where we build temporary infrastructure, that is the sole reason why they do it. You know, they, they can get a huge amount of their revenue um, in in that in that one in that one event. Uh, that's, that's, I suppose, partially true for you, James Lee, in the sense that you will have requirements from clients that say, look, we need a slightly different space than the one you've got permanently here, can we do something? But equally, you'll be trying to incorporate that with elements that you've got here as well. Absolutely right. So I think, as James has said earlier, um, the opportunity for us to partner with a company like James is certainly around those big events um, external to the bowl itself. Um, I think from a C&E point of view internally there's still mm. so much variety um, and, and space that sometimes goes underutilised that, that there's a, a lot more that we can offer internally. Um, but I think there's a requirement sort of for both um, and it's, it's more from a, an RFU point of view, from the big matches point of view, I think that's where, that's where the opportunity lies. Certainly from an internal point of view with us, there's a huge degree of flexibility in terms of the space that we can offer. Um, and it's, it's about us engaging with clients and making sure that we really understand um, their objectives for the event and that we show, we're showing them all of the spaces possible so that they get the best, they get the best possible outcome. But both of the venues relevant to the chaps in the studio um, are venues with rich history with their respective sports, um, particularly with Lords, Nick. Um, mm -hmm. When the decision was made to start utilizing the, utilizing the spaces that were available on a, 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 on a more frequent basis mm -hmm. outside of the key sporting fixtures, how difficult was it to get that past the members, the management at that particular venue? Um, was it a hard sell or was it something that they thought actually from a revenue point sure. of view we really need to do this? It's before my time when all the decisions were made. Um, the club were hosting events, they just weren't particularly proactive uh, about it. Um, so that was the real, the real shift. And in 2005, um, the club decided to uh, bring the catering in-house. So that is now delivered exclusively by, by the MCC. Um, and that, I think, was the real shift um, for us um, in terms of having to create that infrastructure in terms of a sales team, operations team, kitchen staff, etc., all permanently 
then employed by the MCC. And from what I understand, it, it wasn't a difficult sell. Lords is, and the MCC are very much about having control over the customer experience. Uh, and that's what, what they wanted to do. So, yes, if you get it right, the rewards are there. Um, and, you know, but we, of course, need to listen to what our members want as well. We are a private members club at the end of the day. Um, and I think, for, you know, I can't speak on behalf of the members. From what I understand, I think people are, are pleased that the venue, uh, venue such as ours, is being used far more frequently than it was, it was 10, 15 years, um, years ago. Um, James Anderson, w w when, you're, when Arena Group are developing their, their own portfolio of, of actual products and hardware, um, how, how mindful are you of the, the, the level that's been invested in the permanent infrastructure in, in both of these venues and venues like these and the, the level of quality that's being offered? And as we've said, we're sat in a hospitality suite at the moment, which is, is immaculate. It's, it's, it's a lovely facility. Have you had to work hard to make sure that the temporary stuff that's going in matches the level that, of expectation that people would see on a normal basis in those venues. Absolutely. I mean, if you if you're paying, I don't know, a thousand pound a seat or whatever to go to some of these top top sporting events, you, you and, and you're in a temporary venue, it's got to be better than 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 the per, than the permanent sort of than, than the permanent buildings. And we spend a huge amount of time designing with the venue designing the interiors. It's, it, it's more, the buildings are the buildings fundamentally. Mm -hmm. It's the interior design, it's what they look like, it's the touch and feel, and it's the, um, it's the whole experience of when they walk into, when they walk into, temporary, into, a temporary, um, into a temporary building, it doesn't look like a temporary building. It looks like it's yeah. been there for years and years and years, and it's right, and, it, and, it's, and it's right on edge. And the difference between how, the, the beauty of doing it temporary is that every year we can change. Every year we do different different interior designs. We, you know, because that because it, it fundamentally, it it doesn't get thrown away, but it fundamentally gets reused year on year, but but in a, in a different way. James Lee, how's important? How important is that creative process for you when you are looking to expand outside of your your permanent venues and the permanent offerings that you've got here? How involved are you in working with companies like Arena and other suppliers in terms of looking at how creative you can be and in constantly improving that temporary offering? Well, from a Tokenham experience um, perspective, we're concentrating really on those internal spaces. Right. It would it would be the RFU and other departments that we'd be engaging with the Arena Group or, or mm. whoever it may be, in terms of developing those outside spaces with the semi-permanent structures or or temporary structures, like with the uh, the recent tournament. But but as as a sporting venue, then looking at your your internal offering. Um, how um, how creative are the people are your are your clients becoming with the venues and the facilities that you've got to offer here? Um, is it important that you're able to also think outside of the box in terms of what you may be able to achieve with any given space within your venue? Very much so, and I think we probably we're all the same on this one that we we have to future-proof ourselves in terms of not just look and feel but technology. Um, we have to be in tune with, if not one step ahead of what clients are looking for. Um, and whether it's a, a temporary structure in terms of it needs not to look like one, or whether it's us developing space for the future, it's gotta be it's gotta be suitable not for the now, but for the 18 months time, the two years, and therefore we've very much gotta be in tune with what customers are looking for. Um, we certainly, as a team here, we spend a lot of time um, researching, listening to, talking to customers. It's a big part of, of us moving the business forward. Um, and customers are, customers are very quick to tell us what they need next year. 
You know, it's, it's rare mm. that customers will just come back year after year and expect the same, same standards and, and, and the same themes, the same content. You know, they, they need to develop the content themselves. They need our help to do that. And the space sometimes helps. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but I'm reading some information relating to the, the corporate responsibility commitments and, and that relate to the hospitality revenues within Twickenham going towards funding grassroots rugby projects. Um, are we right in saying, is that something that's, that's actively happening? And, and how important is it that, that things like that happen as well as the hospitality revenues actually bringing revenue into the organisation? How is important that, that at Lords as well, uh, is there any uh, example of where the money that's coming in via these hospitality revenues is actually going to fund what that ground it was built to do in the first place? Well, if I can just jump in. Yeah, you start, James. Yeah. Just ahead of you. Um, James, the, the, the Twickenham experience is a joint venture between the RFU and Compass Group. And um, from the RFU point of view, as you correctly say, the, the money that Twickenham Experience make uh, goes back to the RFU and they put that directly back into grassroots rugby, which for me, I'm a coach, rugby coach at the weekend, so I get to see, I get to see the other end of that cycle, which is, which is lovely. Um, but therefore, on the commercial side, Twickenham Experience, it's down to us really to look at spaces and work out quite creatively and quite quickly how we can make the most of that space um, in order to make sure that the, the profits that do go back to the RFU and indeed Compass are as, are as nice as possible so that they can put more back into grassroots rugby. And what we're finding actually, which is really interesting, is the RFU have got some quite strong values um, in terms of teamwork, respect, enjoyment, discipline and sportsmanship. And when we're talking to clients now, because a lot of those values are represented around the bowl, certainly around the conference spaces, mm. we're finding that corporate companies, um, it's raising their eyebrows now because a lot of corporate companies have their own values. Yeah. And, and actually, when you look at a set of values from company to company, there's often a degree of overlap. So from, a, from an RFU values point of view, from, a, from a, the money going back into grassroots rugby point of, uh, point of view, both of which are benefiting us, but we have to work hard to make, make sure that we understand the client's values too, um, mm -hmm. so, that, so that we can work together on that. And that goes with the space, the theming, content again, how they deliver their event ultimately. And are there similarities over at, uh, at Lord's Nick in the sense that yeah. the more people that can come through, even in a non-sporting uh, sense, ultimately is gonna have a benefit on raising the profile of the sport and of the venue? Exactly, I think the more people that come into Lord's and, and get to experience the venue, naturally it's gonna get people in, into cricket. I think what's important to mention as well is that uh, MCC does a lot more than, than own and maintain Lord's Cricket Ground. All the revenue that MCC has goes into the investment in in facilities. Um, we've just completed a three million pound refurbishment on the grandstand um, and we've got two major works happening. The Warner, the Warner stand, which is a member and friends enclosure, um, is having a 25 million pound budget spent on, on that. That will be open in 2017. And the JP Morgan Media Centre has had four million pounds um, spent on it. Um, so there's investment in facilities and also the, the money that MCC generates goes into the good of cricket. Not everybody would know that MCC are actually the governors for the laws of the game as well. So they are a very, very important part of, of cricket worldwide. And all the money that MCC generates goes into different projects and maintaining Lords as the premium cricket ground in the world. And, and, and for, for non-cricket lovers out there, we should point out the MCC is... Marlborough Cricket Club. Marlborough Cricket Club. And, yes. and, 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 and to put it into context, Lords is the ground... Marlborough Cricket Club, the MCC, are the, own, the and custodian, run. own and run and, and Lord's Cricket Ground, exactly. But from a venue perspective, uh, people know us as Lord's Cricket Ground, but I work directly for the MCC. 
Excellent. And um, looking at, at the wider outside of, of both of these particular facilities, um, James Anderson, you'll have um, experience of working not just in sporting venues in this particular country, but sporting venues worldwide. Um, I know Arena involved in Olympic projects, um, other major sporting events. Um, how adoptive are, are other venues of, of expanding their facilities? Is this something that we've led the way in, in the UK quite notably? Um, yeah, I would say that's pretty, that's pretty true. I mean, we, we, we're, we're very fortunate. We, we've got um, businesses all around the globe, um, in the States, um, over in the Middle East, um, Kuala Lumpur, Singapore, Qatar, etc. Um, and uh, we, the, the less, we, a good example was the US Open. So this year we put a we put a double decker up for the U.S. Open for the first time, and they came over to see one of our one of our buildings in action last year. Um, and as a result of that, they went, "Wow, we we want one of these," and we built it for them over there. So, um, you know, the, the states are a bit behind um, in um, in technology with regards to to um, temporary uh, temporary infrastructure. Um, but yeah, so I, I guess we are we are leading the way. We're we're you know we we we've won some great contracts globally. And we deliver, we do deliver stuff all, all over the world, and and a lot of that, a lot of that is is based on the lessons that we've learned in the UK. Is there much interaction um, between UK venues um, in terms of working with other venues from from other countries and and, and bringing them in there? Um, James, Nick, are there examples where you've had guys from other countries come in to see what you guys are doing with your own venues um, to perhaps look at modelling that elsewhere? Um. Yeah, it, ha it has happened, certainly. Um, for example, we met uh, one of the cricket grounds out in um, Barbados, came over and did a visit to Lords. It happens quite regularly. Um, so people do want to come over and see what, see what we're up to and understand a little bit more about how we actually structure the business. So as much as it being about how the venue looks, it's about how we actually operate our, our business on a day-to-day -day basis. And you know, we've always been more than happy to, um, you know, to share that as well. James, uh, James Lee, uh, any examples of where Twickenham has, have you interacted with other, uh, other stadiums? And you mentioned obviously the, the, the Rugby World Cup last year. How much of an example uh, has been set now to, to other nations playing the sport? I'm sure the Rugby World Cup has set many examples. Um, it was a very successful World Cup. Um, but in terms of who would be able to answer that question in terms of other countries and other venues from other countries being interested in what we're doing here, that would very much be an RFU thing. Mm. I've been here with um, Twickenham Experience about 14, 15 months, and I'm not aware of any other venues from other countries that have that have come over to see our internal conference and event space. There may well have been one or two, but I'm not aware of them. Can I ask, when you're working with, with, with clients within your own venue, um, how many of them do want a rugby element incorporated within their events from a creativity point of view, regardless of what their particular event is focusing on, how many of them choose to come here and then say, look, we want to incorporate an of what you do fundamentally? That's a great question, and mm. I'm sure Nick, Nick's got a perspective, and indeed James too. Um, I'm a rugby enthusiast, so I see the rugby fans first in terms of clients. I think generally speaking, we are a venue, and, and whilst you can see the pitch behind me and we're an amazing stadium, um, and I'm sure that customers do come for us, uh, to us for the, for the rugby side of it. But first and foremost, we're, we're a venue and we've got some amazing space. Um, today is a good example. That's an amazing backdrop, but it's a backdrop. Um, and unless they're going to incorporate aspects of interaction with the, the rugby side of it, which often happens and we encourage, um, but it's, it's, not, it's not essential. 
um, for a lot of customers. So I, I don't know that statistically how mm-hmm. many people yeah. come here because we're, we're a legendary um, rugby venue. I'd, I'd like to say it's, it's many and we talk to lots of people and even those who aren't rugby enthusiasts that, that, that come here not because of the rugby end up incorp- often incorporating an element of it, whether it be a changing room dinner, whether it be tours after, after the conference. Mm, There's a whole yeah. number of things mm. that they, they could get involved in. It, 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 does that make the, the sales job and the marketing process of marketing your venues, Nick, mm-hmm. quite, um, not tricky, mm-hmm. but you've got to be careful of the type of message that you're putting sure. out there because you want to attract people because you've got the right facilities regardless yeah. of event but you also want to attract people who may have an interest in cricket and want to do it because of that it, it's it's a balance between the two I, I, th- I think that a lot of people will use sporting venues for example because they're unique so that's not necessarily just because it's a sporting venue people want something different for their event quite often we find with clients they might say we went to Wembley Stadium last year now we're looking at Lords, and then they might go to Twickenham the year after, they they obviously have a, a, a sporting link that they want with their event, but the fact is they want a unique a unique venue. Um, for us as well is that we, we benefit as well from lots of viewing um, uh, facilities, overviewing, overlooking the pitch, like we do here at Twickenham, and it, it's crazy not to use that as much as we can. It, it's a view better, I think, than any any boardroom can offer. Really, is is having something like this out out of the window. So we very much lead on the fact that we are Lord's Cricket around the home of cricket in, in our marketing. But what we need to make sure we do behind that is make sure we demonstrate our, our flexibility, that we're, we're more than that and we're ready to um, you know, take on lots of different types of events and can deliver them very, very well. Um, we've talked with, with James Anderson from Marina about the, the, the idea of, of expanding a, a permanent offering, a permanent space, but how much feedback do you take from clients with your permanent spaces in terms of then what you think, right, we could adapt that or we could develop that particular element or we could that add that element of infrastructure. Is there much development that goes on as a result of feedback from your clients? Tremendous amount, I think. Um, and we, we work very hard, as mentioned before, to solicit feedback from clients. So once an event has taken place, um, one of the team will go out and, and proactively meet the client, sit down and, and understand what went well and, and perhaps what didn't go well or certainly if they're looking to come back what we'd need to, to change. Um, a good example of that would be the recent upgrade in the AV and our South Stand, which mm-hmm. was a c- considerable investment. But we did it because we were listening to customers. We did it because customers need new technology. Um, and in order to sort of not just keep up but get ahead, we needed to make that investment. Um, it might be changes to menus. It might be aspects of service in terms of security. There's any number of things um, within an event itself uh, that we might receive feedback on and therefore change. Um, but I think listening to customers is fundamental, um, but it's then demonstrating as a result of listening what you've done. Um, and that might not be significant investment. It might be small changes to procedures. It might be some changes to, to operational standards. Um, and I think we're, we're as, good, as good as anybody at that. Uh, I don't say that lightly. Hmm. Before yeah. I joined, I was, spent 12 years um, up and down the country, uh, as Nick will know, training and working with lots of different hospitality organisations, mainly venues. So I got to experience a lot of the service side and I think whilst you know the backdrop behind me is amazing, the the history behind Twickenham is amazing, the facilities that we have are amazing, yeah if you don't get the service right you're in trouble and I think the service here is is as good as you'll experience. Um, 
whether it's a small meeting, whether it's a large meeting, um, you know, we've got an extremely talented team here, but we work extremely hard to make sure that we get it right. And James, has, James Lee has spoken there about how they're taking the feedback from, from their clients to, to, to constantly refine their offering. And I suppose it, you touched on that yourself, James Anderson, uh, earlier on in, in today's episode where you spoke about getting that feedback. But uh, how is it actually generated? How is it done when, when Arena go in and your work to adapt a facility and you're going there year on year and year? Um, does it become a really, really difficult task to constantly take their feedback and, and refine it? Does it get to a point where you think, no, we, we really can't do much more there? Um, <clears throat> no, no, not really. I, I think if you... A good example this year is, um, is Aintree and a Cheltenham, actually, where we've, where we've introduced new covered um, grandstand seating, um, which dovetail behind into a separate hospitality area. Um, we came... They wanted to do something... At Cheltenham, they wanted to do something different with a Guinness stand... Um, we sat and talked and we came up with some ideas. We could do this, we could do that. What do you want to do? How's, how do you want to make it work? Um, but it has to be different from how it's been. And actually, it has to be different from other, from other, venues, other, other venues around the country. Um, so it's just, it's just continue trying to innovate and try, trying to give them, uh, give them the confidence that, that you can give their, their guests a different visitor experience and a better visitor experience than they've had somewhere else. Now, we might want to replicate that so what we build at Cheltenham, we might want to replicate that at Aintree. But actually, as, as an example, but actually it's, it's, it's about change now. Um, yeah. And Nick, how much of it is an ongoing operation at, at Lords to refine what you've got there? And, and just, just covering some things that James Lee said, that, that not, not just the actual infrastructure that's there and what you're offering in terms of hardware, but the refinement of the staffing and the hospitality that's delivered. How much is an ongoing process? It, it's always an ongoing process, as James said. It's it's integral to to any event. If the operation falls down, then then you are in trouble. So it can be something as simple as menu rotations, having seasonal menus. It's something like that. So if somebody's coming back for three, four events a year, they've got a different menu at every single event. So we constantly change our menu rotations. Um, we've got training in place for all of our staff, um, as well as something that's been launched called Long Room Champions. Um, so people who achieve that level of status in terms of our uh, our staff that work events they will get a higher rate of pace as an incentive to do that and people to work hard to give the best possible levels of service and it's listening to our customers as well it's it's integral to, to as much to our businesses i'm sure it's for for james and, and anyone else out there in the hospitality industry and it as you said it can be little things that make a big big difference and we've got to listen to what people are telling us um, james mentioned that, that there was an investment in the av um was it in the south stand james you said a, a development Center, of that yeah. at, at lords what uh, what the sort of the regular things that are cropping up on people's wish lists when you're working with clients um, that, that you've subsequently put into the venue to, to be able to meet those demands on a permanent basis? Yeah, sure. We've got um, uh, 10 meeting rooms overlooking the ground in the tavern stand. We've just invested in uh, plasma screens in five of those, uh, which get used the most for events. So rather than having to bring in a pull-up screen or a plasma screen, there's something built in for people already. The Thomas Law Tweet's our main conference room, so that's got AV built in there in terms of, you know, there's a PA system in there, is that access to complimentary microphones. I think what's really important for sporting venues is to make sure that we're giving them the same, if not more, than what other conference venues are actually offering them. Make it easy for people to book. We shouldn't be making life uh, for the event organiser more difficult by coming to a sporting venue. We need to give them access to the same equipment that they're getting everywhere else, plus give them the uniqueness of the venue um, to hopefully um, get them to come back again. There's a real opportunity here, isn't there? Because the when you look back to the traditional hotel conference suite that, that maybe companies would have used in, in years gone by, 
I, I would argue, my opinion would be that there was a complacency that set in for a period of time whereby the big hotels and their conference suites had a monopoly on these, these events before people really started to think outside the box and look at these other facilities. And um, 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 what all three of you have done is, is raise the bar that little bit so the more traditional quote-unquote venues are now playing a little bit of catch-up. Um, it is ultimately that just, just driving forward the standard as the industry as a whole. One of the things, sorry, may I? one of Go. the things that, that, that we, we out of our offering now is a um, is like a, a double or triple decker temporary building that is completely flexible. So you, it can be a conference. So the top floor can be a, um, a theatre style. Middle floor can be conference rooms. Bottom floor can be from be catering. Um, and then it's all then it's all completely changeable. Um, so from one day you can have a conference in it, then the next day you could have it as a, um, a you could have a wedding in it. You could have you know and and selling that sort of thing to a venue give them a completely flexible space um, to actually see if the revenues are going to work so yes they'll spend some money on the temporary building but um, as I say you, you don't have the ongoing costs of the, of the maintenance etc etc so if you can prove that model in, in, a, in a venue then that gives them that that gives them the confidence that if they did then want to go and build that particular unit uh, in, in, in permanent they then can because they've because they've uh, they've sort of concreted the, the revenues what are the sort of when we're looking at the types of events that are coming in here? Um, what what types of event are you getting in? What what's the spectrum of client that you're dealing with from one extreme to the other? If you, if you follow me, um, are there any examples that we can reference to perhaps highlight the two venues that we've got in the studio today and, and what you can deliver? Yeah, I'll I'll kick that one off, James. Okay. Um, lots of different types of events. I think very much. Um, where I think we are in our strongest position is in terms of delivering lunches, dinners, and receptions in the pavilion building. That's the iconic part of Lords that people resonate with. Um, so a lot of the events that we have naturally will take place, uh, take place within there. Um, I mentioned the Thomas Lord suite earlier. That's our main conference room. But again, we do lots of dinners in there, exhibitions, wine tastings. We have three outside uh, areas, uh, one of which on top of the pavilion overlooking the ground. Um, so we do lots of summer events up there as well. It's, it's a huge spectrum. I know it is at, at Twickenham as well. Um, there aren't many different types of events uh, that we can't take. We just um, obviously need to keep an eye on our, our capacity. Um, but beyond the types of events that we do, it's a huge spectrum. And, and James, at uh, uh, Twickenham, I know the, the, the sheer scale of the operation that you've got here in terms of the size of the venue gives you great scope. But could you perhaps highlight some of the different types of event that you're actually accommodating here? Unfortunately, it's going to be much of the same as, as Nick's just said. We can, we can accommodate from two to a thousand people in lots of different formats, in lots of different ways. Um, and that's a lovely challenge to have as a team. Um, there aren't too many customers that we have to turn away because, one, we haven't got the size, or two, we haven't got the right kind of space. Mm -hmm. That's not to say we're all things to all people. Um, in terms of the, the types of um, events, certainly conference and meetings is, is, our, is our staple. But, but around that, we punctuate it with many, many banquets, private dining. Um, we've got some fantastic private dining spaces directly behind me in the, the new West Stand. As an example, we've got an absolute gem of a, of a Twickenham cellar, which lends itself to a sort of executive private dining for small numbers. Um, but likewise, we, we pride ourselves on, on big numbers. You know, from a hospitality point of view, we do thousands of covers on match day. Um, and therefore we, we lend ourselves to the big events too. So it's a huge question. We could spend a long time breaking that down because mm, yeah. um, I, I don't think there are too many, there are too many customers that, that, that 
we would turn away because we couldn't do either the space or we couldn't get creative enough with the thinking to help them deliver a great event. At least I'd like to think not. Uh, is a lot of the new business driven by inbound inquiries, people who are perhaps looking for that different type of venue that Nick, you mentioned earlier, mm. or is a lot of your focus done on outbound marketing in order to, to, to generate new contacts and new business? It's, it's both. Um, we spend a lot of time making sure that um, when we're capturing inquiries that we're dealing with them in the best possible way, we're dealing with them accurately in a bespoke way, giving the client all the information that they want. So we take a lot of time making sure we get all the detail and actually understand why they want to use uh, Lords as a possible venue for their event. Uh, that's one part of it, and which is really, really important for us. And then obviously it's then make sure you're looking in the right areas to try and gain new business, and it's, and it's that balance uh, between the two. You know, I'm sure James is in the same position. We're very fortunate being iconic venues. Um, we naturally do get some inquiries that come through to us, but um, it doesn't mean we can get to our budget every year just by doing that. We need to work hard and make sure we're trying to you know, raise the awareness of Lords as an events venue um, as well as being the home of cricket. Absolutely. I'm just linking that back to your previous question, actually, mm -hmm. and not wanting to, to alienate James at this point, but I think the, the, the driving business, certainly the incoming business that we're experiencing, yes, it's a lot of energy put into outbound marketing. Yes, it's a lot of customer service in terms of the incoming inquiries. But I do think there's been a step change over the last 10 or 20 years from traditional venues, as you described them. Yeah. Um, and in actual fact, if you just look at the volume of venues that there are now, um, our local village hall in the town that I, I live in, you can rent out for children's parties now for sort of 25 quid. Um, so, you know, we've got to be alive. And I think when it comes to, certainly when it comes to um, the, the way we acquire new customers, it, it has to be dependent on us to go and find them, but it, it would certainly be true to say a lot of the customers that might be inquiring with us are doing so because they, they're, they're not fed up, but they, they're, they're tired of the same venue, which might be traditional, and therefore yeah. they're looking for a new offering, something new, something quirky, something different. That, that dovetails well into, into what we do, for what we do. We get a lot of inquiries from venues that need extra space or yeah. need something different, mm -hmm. and they, they come to say, can you, can you help us deliver this? deliver this event whatever that may be mm. um, so there may be that I'll use your village hall analogy they may have the space to, to do to do the part but actually they want to do something much bigger they want to do something different and we can you know we we help these we help these venues deliver that that, that event for them have, have you seen that increase in because you you've obviously got established relationships with a number of major sporting venues but have you seen an increase in recent years of other sporting venues coming to saying look we really we're playing catch up here. What can you do to help us? It, it's not just sporting venues. It's venues full stop. Right. Um, areas that have got space. You know, there's a huge amount of venues around now. There's more venues now than there's ever been, um, and there's a lot of them that want to do something different. You know, they, they may they may have some space. They may want to do a conference. They may want to they may want to host a a, a tennis match or whatever. So we'll you know we we'll build a, a we we can build the building for them. We can build the seating for them. We. Pretty much so, yeah, all the time. It's just grown and grown and grown. With that, with that growth, has it made your jobs more difficult, Nick and, uh, and James? Uh, how, how tough is it to compete when there are uh, a growing number of venues becoming available? I, I think it's um, the most competitive the marketplace has ever been, and, and not least of which we're both in London, which has always been a very competitive marketplace. Um, but I think that's a great challenge to have, and that, again, is why the history of both the venues here um, I think the, the service, the fact that we don't have rules, we don't have mm -hmm. the same rules anyway that some of the traditional um, conference centres and certainly the hotel chains have. 
which means we've got more flexibility, which means we can make quicker decisions. Yeah. If we need to work around a client's request, then we can do that, and we can do that much quicker than most other venues, and I think that's appreciated. Just to turn on its head slightly, a question that I asked earlier about the, the, any communication that you may have with uh, other venues internationally, are you seeing an increase in international visitors coming to use your venues for the events that you are hosting? Um, obviously, with this increase in venues, it will ultimately drive the standards, hopefully upwards, because there is more competition, and one would hope that that is ultimately attracting business from, from further afield. Is that the case with both of your venues? Um, I'd say from international business, it's, um, it's growing slightly. Um, I think um, cricket, um, cricket and rugby, actually, similarly, probably don't have the same kind of awareness that football does um, hmm. ar around the world. So uh, we need to find, find out exactly why people want to be coming, you know, 22 experience our venues, just understand that a little bit more. Uh, we get a lot of overseas um, business that comes across, but it tends to be from the cricket playing nations from India and Australia in, in particular. Um, so certainly I think more that we can do in terms of other areas, perhaps in Europe, a little bit more in terms of trying to get some more business from those, uh, from those areas. If, uh, sorry, James, go far I was, away. I was just going to say from our point of view, um, we, we are probably seeing an increase, albeit steady, in terms of international um, events here, but probably not necessarily rugby related, but, but more because we're pretty close to Heathrow. Um, and because as events grow, and they are growing, and companies become a bit more international, you need to have events or hold your events in, in hubs. And, and we've certainly fit in, into that in terms of our proximity to Heathrow. Um, our, our, our job as a sales team is to try and make sure they come that little bit further than those hotels you referred to, that, you know, the, the big ballrooms with the 400 bedrooms upstairs. You, James Anderson, you, you're working at a slightly different stage to, to, to the other guys in the studio, but um, how aware of you of international visitors to, to UK-based events that you're helping to facilitate? Are, are you noticing an increase in that? Um, we, we don't really track that. For, mm. for us, it's, you know, we're, we're providing a service to a venue, um, which is a temporary infrastructure service. We, we, I can't really answer that. It's not something that we would... Be aware we're, of. We're not aware of that, no, yet. not at all. Not at all. I mean, other than obviously Rugby World Cup here, huge amount of international <laughs> yeah. visitors. Yeah, indeed. Obviously, but I, I, but I would suggest for... Um, for most of the tournaments that we do that we do work for, I can't really answer it. I, sure. I wouldn't know. Let's um, let's just mention the fact that when uh, we're going to tweet some some links out to uh, to all of the organisations that have been involved in today's uh, episode, so that if any of our listeners want to get in touch with you directly to find out a little bit more about you, what you can offer, what you can bring to the table, if they've got any questions directly for you, we will tweet some links from the at Talking Events. Uh, Twitter accounts. People can head over to that page and and then get in touch with the organisations that have been here. Um, which today has been James Anderson from the Arena Group. James, thank you very much for joining thank us you. today. Uh, Nick Kenton from Lord's Cricket Ground. Nick, thank you very much for thank being you. a part of today's episode. James Lee from the Twickenham Experience. Uh, great to have you on board today and thanks again to your team and your staff here at the stadium for their hospitality in, uh, in hosting us the last uh, couple of days to record these episodes. As I mentioned, if anybody wants to get in touch with the podcast, use the at Talking Events Twitter handle to submit any questions, comments on today's episode. You can watch it on the Event Industry News YouTube channel and via eventindustrynews.co.uk. If you're watching this, you can also subscribe to the podcast via iTunes. It just leaves me to wrap up and say that my name's James Dixon. You've been listening to Talking Events. Music